Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery. It is draft day in the NFL. So much excitement around the draft. And of course, we are going to talk about it. Yes, my one and only mock draft that I do annually. We're going to go over that. We'll talk about some more of the draft thoughts and philosophies and what the Falcons may or may not do. And he's back. Talk about that and a lot of other things. It is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Welcome into a draft edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. We ask you to head over to YouTube. YouTube.com, go in the browser, search out for Locked On Sports Atlanta, find us there, hit the subscribe button, leave us a comment, tell us what you think, and we appreciate you giving us some feedback on the show. Also, too, personal Twitter page at JMCH316. The day is here. It is NFL Day, and what do I have here? So, for those new listeners to John Chuckery and my brand and everything like that, the week of the NFL draft, I do one and one and only mock. I don't do 50,000 mocks. I don't put everything into a simulator and, you know, this guy here and all that kind of stuff, all that crazy. I don't do all that stuff, okay? I do one mock every year, and I pick straight through. I don't do trades because trades are ridiculous. You can't sit there and anticipate what other GMs are going to do. You pick it straight based upon where the Falcons are going to pick. So I do one of these a year, and I do it in the sense of, not what I think the Falcons are going to pick, who I think they're going to take. I do this as if I'm the general manager of the team and I have to fix my football team. And I have to make my football team better today than they were yesterday. Got it? So we don't do trades. We don't do craziness. And I also don't make picks where a fourth round pick is with a first round guy. Not going to tell you Kayvon Thibodeau is going to the fourth round in the draft and the Falcons take him, like some of these goofy simulators and stuff put up out there. These are guys that I expect to be there, give or take a little bit, but picks that make sense for the Falcons. So ready? Here we go. All right. Round number one, pick number eight. I take Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State, defensive end. Highly productive player, was at the University of Georgia, transferred over to Florida State, became the ACC defensive player of the year everything that you want in a defensive end and the ceiling is only getting higher and higher for this guy now he may be a guy that gets enough intrigue that he might not even be there at number eight when the atlanta falcons pick but my caveats on all this are whether it's thibodeau or johnson you have to take a pass rusher first and foremost you have to take a pass rusher first what if the top three guys aren't there? Then you take the next damn guy. Take the best pass rusher at eight. Stop overthinking this. Take guy whose job is to go whoop around the end and he goes and sacks the quarterback. Don't overthink this. No wide receivers, no safeties, no corner. Don't overthink this. I think Jermaine Johnson will be there. I'm taking him with the eighth pick overall. Round one, pick eight for the Atlanta Falcons. Now, round two, pick number 43. I've said before, ideally, you trade back up in the first round to get your quarterback. 
But since I don't do trades in this draft, I take Desmond Ritter, quarterback out of Cincinnati. I like Ritter a lot. I think there are a lot of intangibles about Desmond Ritter. I think there is something to look. The most important thing you can do in the NFL is win. Maybe you don't have all the stats and the physical traits in this kind of a can you win. I think Desmond Ritter is a winner. He lifted that Cincinnati program up. He did so many good things for a program that, let's face it, small school and, and didn't get a lot of hype. It, it took them to the college football playoff. Now, no, he had a lot of good players around there, and I'm going to actually talk about another guy, a teammate of his, but I like Desmond Ritter's intangible. I don't know if he's got the size, the arm strength, the beat, but a boot, but a zap, bop, bop. Okay? I, I saw Dan McGuire play. He had the size and the arm strength. He had the million-dollar arm and the 10-cent head to go along with it. So Jeff George. Nobody had a better arm in the history of the world than Jeff George, but he had a nickel for a brain. And he had a P for a Valentine, as my friend Bo Bach would say. So I take Desmond Ritter, pick number 43, round number two, quarterback out of Cincinnati. Now, round number two, pick number 58 for the Falcons. I take Logan Hall, defensive end out of Houston. Now, I'm going to put a caveat on this in a second, but let's talk about Hall. Big kid, big kid, six foot six, 283 pounds, runs all right. He's a 488 guy. But he's a guy growing and developing, probably fits best in a 3-4 scheme as an end. A lot of upside skills to him, a guy who can get after quarterback. Now, my caveat is, and I don't think that he will be here at 58, but if he is, I want to take David Ajabo, the defensive end out of Michigan. Now, obviously, Ajabo is one of the more intriguing prospects in the draft because Highly productive his final year in college, but at the injury at his pro day, does that knock him? I mean, he would have been probably a top 10 or 12 pick. Does that knock him out of the first? Does he fall to the second? How far down the second does he fall? If David Ajabo is available at 58, that would be my number one preference, okay? It's possible, but not likely. Understand? So I take Logan Hall, edge player, defensive end out of Houston. So we've made three picks. Two of them are defensive ends whose job is to go get the quarterback. See the pattern here? See what I'm talking about? See, see, see the understanding here? I'm, I'm fixing the fountain for you. Fixing the fountain for you. Round number three, pick number 74, Alex Pierce, wide receiver out of Cincinnati. We talked about Desmond Ritter. Well, his favorite target was a guy who is a definite physical wide receiver. Maybe not some of the top end speed, but again, he's not, not too bad at 4-4-1, but Certainly a guy who has the frame and can play as a strong wide receiver. We know that, you know, this team needs guys who can catch the football, guys that can play on the outside. Again, maybe not a guy who's running downfield and running away from people, but he's tough. He works the middle of the field. And when you talk about the way that this offensive line plays, it can't block anybody. And the fact that you're probably going to either have a Marcus Mariota or a young quarterback that doesn't need to try to make a lot of reads and things like that and wait on guys to get open. Pierce is one of those guys that he's got the physical tools. He can play over the middle of the field and he can help a quarterback out. So he's my pick at round three, pick number 74. Pick uh, number 82 in third round, Jamari Salyer, the offensive lineman out of the University of Georgia. So here's the thing about Salyer. He's got a lot of work to do, but he's played at every position 
on the offensive line. He's taking snaps everywhere on the offensive line. When you start getting into this part of the draft through the middle rounds, even a third round, I'm looking for guys that have some versatility. Maybe right tackle, maybe he's a guard, but the fact that he's at a high level program, played at different positions, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Most people say, well, he doesn't have a position, Eddie. Okay, but he's all, I mean, they do that at Alabama all the time. How many guys that get drafted at left tackle also started at right tackle and interior line before all the top NFL picks go away and then it's his chance to go take over the left tackle spot? So versatility is a good thing. And he's, you know, he's a mountain of a man. He's six foot three, 321 pounds. You know, he's got to probably work a little bit better on his run blocking, probably a little bit better on his pass blocking as well. But certainly a guy that's worth a project and worth trying to see obviously coming off the national championship with Georgia. All right, when uh, we get back, we will finish up the second half of my mock draft as we'll talk about rounds four, five, six, and seven as we get ready for draft day with the Atlanta Falcons. It is hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Back at on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Don't forget, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Locked On Sports Atlanta. Go in the browser and search for that. Give us a review and tell us what you think about the show. Also, follow me on my Twitter page, at JMCH316. We continue with my one and only mock draft for the Atlanta Falcons. It is draft day here in uh, Atlanta and across the NFL landscape. So we left off with Jamari Salyer, offensive lineman, University of Georgia, round three, pick number 82. We move on to round number four, pick number 114, and I take with that pick Jalen um, Jalen Amore Davis, cornerback out of the University of Alabama. Now, he's got good speed, and he's got the size, 6'1", almost 200 pounds, okay? He can be a press man guy, who, by the way, that's what Dean Pease specifically talked about in his post, post-conference uh, of the season about, hey, find me a guy who can be a press corner and things like that. The problem is, is that he is a one-year starter at Alabama and at times hasn't played all of his best football. And he's not been consistent enough to show that he's a top-tier defensive back. Now, I like him, and I think that he's got a lot of upside to him, and he's got all the physical tools, but he's got to put it all together on a consistent basis. That's really the only thing that holds him back. And again, when you start to get to this point of the draft, you have to live with the warts that some of these guys have and look at what the ceiling is going to be for those guys. So Davis is a guy who started at Alabama. He's got all the tools. Let's see if the Falcons could draft him and put it all together. All right, round number five, pick number 151. I go with Neil Farrell, defensive tackle out of LSU. Now, talk about a mountain of a man. Six foot four, 330 pounds is Farrell. He is an unpolished product for sure, but what he is is a big-time space eater. So he's a guy that if you want to blow up the run and get tackles for loss in the backfield, he's your guy. If you want him to pass rush, not going to happen. It's not going to be a guy that you can pass rush with, maybe not even a guy that in pass rush situations stays on the field. But that first and second down and rundowns, you pair him up with Grady Jarrett. He can take on two blockers. He can help blow up plays. He comes from a great program, obviously. And he's a guy that's got, you know, he's a very rugged guy when you talk about getting down low. And it said, mountain of a man, six foot four, 330 pounds, ran a 5 4 1 
uh, 40. But again, I don't care about that kind of stuff. I need a guy in the middle of that defensive line that eats up some space. And even if he's only a two-down player, who cares? You're talking about a fifth-round guy, which, by the way, is where they found Grady Jarrett, just for craps and giggles if you want to know out there. So I take Neil Neil Farrell, defensive tackle out of LSU, with the uh, fifth-round pick. Round number six, pick number 190, Dontario Drummond, wide receiver out of Ole Miss. Now, he's a guy that's got some nice physical tools, 6'1", 215, got some size and strength, probably a slot receiver, was obviously productive at the Ole Miss. Um, He's got the good frame, probably not the best hands, probably not the best route runner in the world. You probably have to keep things simple for him and probably is a project. But again, another guy that if you're talking about can get over the middle of the field and use his size and strength to get open, he can do that. He's not going to run past anybody. He's got good He's got good football speed, but running a 40 is not in a straight line. Downfield isn't what his strength is. But you talk about a guy who makes plays after the catch, and you talk about a guy who's got the physical size. I'm talking about 6'1", 215. That's a good size wide receiver over the middle of the field. If he can do some of that and help out your young quarterback or Marcus Mariota, think he's somebody to take a look at. I pick him in round number six at pick 190. And then finally, round number seven, pick number 213, excuse me, Darian Kendrick, cornerback out of the University of Georgia. Look, Kendrick's one of those guys that has played in a lot of big moments in his collegiate career. The spotlight, does he have the great speed? No. Does he have the great size? No. He's definitely a work in progress. But you talk about a guy who, if nothing else, has been in some of the biggest moments in college football. Played at Clemson, played at Georgia, started there. Part of a national championship team, part of a successful Clemson program. There is, again, something to the idea of a guy who's been a winner, who's had to compete. Okay, and look, we're talking about a seventh-round pick at this point. We're not talking about guys who are supposed to make impacts and supposed to do much of anything. You put a guy like that on your special teams, but he is a guy that comes from a winning program. I like guys that come from winners. I like guys that come from winning programs. That is my mock draft. Now, look, tonight we start with round number one. Do I think the Falcons just make this easy and draft a defensive player? I sure hope so. I, I, I hope that they make this easy and don't make it difficult. You know, I know everybody's mocking wide receiver, safety, corner, this and that, whatever like that. And there are some people that have mocked offensive line. I've said before, the three positions that I won't get angry at drafting, obviously defensive line, which should be what it is. Offensive line won't aggravate me. And even if they draft like Malik Willis at number eight, I won't be completely aggravated by that simply because they need a quarterback. And I don't like the idea of kicking quarterback down the road and waiting Another year and another year and another year. And well, it didn't work out this year. We got to find. I'm not a fan of doing all of that. So I'd rather go draft my quarterback when I'm available to draft it. And then let's move on. And if it doesn't work, we go draft another quarterback the next draft. Right? I mean, that's just how you kind of have to do it. So I hope the Falcons make this easy. And listening to Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith, listening to some of the pundits and things like that, you know, out there, I don't know. I mean, this draft is all over the board, and certainly you look at the first seven picks that are going to happen before the Falcons, 
they're going to be all over the board. There's no real consensus, number one. You know, it's you could make a case for Jacksonville. If they draft a Thibodeau, that makes sense. If they draft Hutchinson, that makes sense. If they draft Evan Neal, that makes sense. If they draft a Kwanu, that makes sense. Like, there's all these guys that you could say Jacksonville with the number one overall pick could draft, and you're like, hmm, yeah, that, that was a pretty good pick. That That makes sense for what they want to do. And you understand what their philosophy would be. You know, it wouldn't make any sense for Jacksonville to draft a quarterback at number one, right? But offensive line, defensive line, whatever. They, they have lots of needs, and, and you could see them draft them. Anyway, so because there's not an easy consensus one, two, or three like there was last year, and Terry Fontenot talked about when they drafted number four last year, it was like they would have the first pick of the draft because they knew what the first three picks were going to be. Everybody knew Trevor Lawrence was going number one. Everybody knew Zach Wilson was going number two. And it came out that we knew that Trey uh, Lance was going to be number three. That made it easy. Even if one Trey Lance was going to be a quarterback, and the Falcons weren't going to draft a quarterback last year. So this draft is monumentally important for the Atlanta Falcons. And people keep talking about starters. Well, we need four starters. We need three starters. We need the What you need are high-quality impact players. And Arthur Smith made a comment the other day about, well, I don't know what the metrics are to measure a good draft pick. I'll tell you the metrics. I, I here, Let me help you out, Coach. I know you're listening. I know you're watching. Appreciate you and Terry being a part of this, getting ready for the draft. I'll give you some metrics, okay? Tristan Wurst was first-team um, rookie NFL his rookie year and then was first-team all NFL his second year. Is that being an impact? Rookie team first year, all NFL second year, first team. That sounds pretty good, right? Micah Parsons in his rookie year, um, one of the three finalists for defensive player of the year, defensive rookie of the year, first team all NFL. Those are good metrics to have. When I'm measuring your guy, if I measure your guys by, let's see, let, let's just use a random example of how I can measure guy. Let's say, I don't know, let's pick Jalen Mayfield, okay? Jalen Mayfield grades out as one of the two or three worst interior offensive linemen in the NFL. He gives up more sacks than any interior offensive lineman in the NFL, and he finishes in the top 10 in penalties in the NFL at his position. Those are not good metrics. Those are easy metrics to look at and say, well, that wasn't a very good first year, okay? We need to draft high-caliber, high-quality NFL player. If that means I get only one or two starters, but that guy is first team all NFL in two years, then so be it. I'm more than happy if that's what it is. Give me high caliber players, guys who can change my franchise around. All right, when we get back, boy, the Braves got some good news here this morning. As Ronnie, he's back. We'll talk to Braves baseball up next. Chuckery here, hitting hard with John Chuckery. Back at it on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Lockdown Sports Atlanta, asking you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just search us out on YouTube, Lockdown Sports Atlanta. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, tell us what you think about the show. Also, to follow me on my Twitter page at JMCH316. We got good news earlier this morning from the Atlanta Braves Twitter page. Quote The Braves today returned outfielder Ronald Acuna Jr. from his rehab assignment and reinstated him from the 10-day injured list to make room on the active roster the club designated outfielder Alex Dickerson for assignment. He's back. Good news getting now Ronald Acuna Jr. back. Now, look, the Braves lost last night, another extra inning loss, shocking. Uh, the Braves were one of the worst extra inning teams 
in Major League Baseball last year, and um, they lost 6-3 last night to the Cubs. So now with Ronnie back in the mix, I do think that you probably DH him a little bit here at the start, although he might be like a late-inning uh, defensive replacement. I'm not sure that you just run him out there for nine innings in center or right field um, and, and just crank it up and go. Maybe they do because they certainly brought him up a little bit early. The thought process is that probably Monday was when he was probably going to come up, even though the original date was May 6th. A lot of people thought that Monday would be the day that they would bring him up and all that. But we also heard from Ronald Acuna. He said, hey, look, I'm ready to go. I've done my rehab assignments. I'm feeling good. Let's get this thing cranked up and going. Okay. Now, I do think that the Braves will have a little bit of a cautious approach when he comes up. Like I said, might DH a game or two first, might be a defensive replacement later on in the game, just getting his feet wet. And, you know, obviously they're about to hit the road. Um, so I think what they want to do is, you know, they'll wrap up with the Cubs, but I think they want to get him up here so they could get him up and get him ready to get the, on the road with them heading down to Texas because they'll – Though this weekend, they'll head down to Texas, play the Rangers before they head up to Gotham and play the New York Mets. Now, the great thing about Ronnie, obviously, is, you know, the, the amazing part when you look at what he's done in these four years, and, and, and one of the big transformations has just been the idea of how much his on-base percentage has changed over the last four years. First two years wasn't bad. It was pretty good. 365 Anytime you're a player that's above 350, that's where you want to be. But as he got into that leadoff role and he sort of changed what his role is and what he's supposed to be as a major league player, you look at his on-base percentage and he's been over 400, you know, or in that range over the last couple of years. Last season, it was, last season was 400. Um, the season before that, was 394. So that is a big transformation for a guy to understand his role and find himself embracing where he hits. Not just let me go slap home runs every time I'm coming out. Learning how to get on base, learning how to walk, learning how to use pitch counts and get yourself on base so that all the guys behind you can find a way to drive you in. Now, you give me Ronald with a 400 on base percentage. Matt Olson's still at 435. There's going to be a lot of guys on base when Riley, Ozuna, Darno, Albies, when those guys come up, th this is where the depth of the lineup really pays some dividends. And, you know, because Rosario has not hit well and now he's going to be out, he had successful eye surgery, they had a hole in his eye. Some people think I have a hole in my head, but he's got a hole in his eye. He'll be out 8 to 12 weeks with that. So because he's not hit well and you don't really have a guy you feel comfortable in the leadoff spot, you kind of put Ozzy there because you feel like he's got the speed, but maybe he doesn't have the on-base percentage. And I like Ozzy more in a run-producing role at this point. Ronnie slides right in, and now you've got Ronnie and Olsen before you get to all the boppers and Riley Ozuna, Albies. Darno, Duval, blah, 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 blah. Now, the other part of this, too, is anything that helps the outfield defense is a plus because, brother, whew, it has not been a good 
defensive outfield so far for the Atlanta Braves. Rosario's been a disaster. Mix and matching guys. Duvall's fine, but Adam Duvall's not a 160-game center fielder in Major League Baseball right now. You have to monitor. You know, he's 33 years old. He's, you know, that's a tough position to play if you're 23 years old as center fielder in Major League Baseball. But 33 years old, trying to run around and play 155, 160 games, just not a realistic thing. So don't be surprised if Ronnie spends some time in center field. And again, maybe it's a situation where you DH him early on in the game, you get a lead, late in the game, he runs out to center, Duvall moves over to right field, and you give Duvall a little bit of a break. Or don't be surprised in mixing and matching with, you know, Arcia and some of these guys that, you know, maybe it's time for Duvall to get a day off here and a day off there just to kind of rest his legs. And then Ronnie maybe plays a little bit of center, plays a little bit of right. I do think that long term that they want Ronald Acuna Jr. in right field. I think that's the spot that makes the most sense. Is he a good enough player to play center field every day? Yes, of course. He can be Mike Trout. But that's a lot of wear and tear on your legs. That that playing center field, you know, and having to hit lead off and have the most at bats on your team is a lot of wear and tear on your legs and body. Playing right field takes a little bit of that off. He's got the arm that he can play right field, no issue, but certainly the stress on his legs certainly is one of those things that you have to factor and consider in. What I'm going to be curious with with Ronald Acuña more than anything. I'm not worried about the home runs, I'm not worried about the defense. Will he steal bases? Stole a base or two when he was down the minors, didn't he? Got a, got a stolen base or two. I want to see that aspect come back for the Braves. I, 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 I consistently say this, that I don't think the Braves take enough advantage of their speed. You know, they do some good things on the bases where even Marcelo Zuna, when he gets it going, he can at least get around and he's not afraid to take an extra base, say, first to third on a single to right field or what have you. You know, that's where the Braves have an advantage that I don't think they take enough of with Dansby, with Ronnie, with Ozzy, with some of these guys that they have. I like to see them use their speed more. I understand baseball's not a game that likes to use speed. You sit back and you wait for a three-run homer and you strike out 700 times and that's how you do it out there. But I will be curious to see Ronnie getting back in the top of that order and if he gets out there and uses some of his speed and puts even more pressure on pitching and defense. It is such an important key in baseball that you get a guy on base, and if you got a guy who can run and who can steal bases, you're putting so much more pressure on that pitcher to have to be finite and make some better pitches. So excited to have him back. I expect to see him in the lineup tonight in some form or fashion, maybe DH, then move out to outfield for a little bit as a defensive replacement. But it's good to have Ronnie back, and now we got some things going at the top of this order. By the way, too, um, Charlie Morton needs to get figured out. He labored last night, two and a third, 70 pitches. Um, his ERA is up to seven. He's got to get some things figured out. They they need Morton to get right. You know, Max Fried starting to figure some things out. Kyle Wright looking good. Morton is the next guy that let's get this thing going, Charlie. Let's get stretched out. Let's get going, and let's get on a run here as they wrap up with the Cubs, and they need to win this series and then take on the Texas Rangers. All right, uh, we appreciate everybody being a part of the show. Thank you so much for uh, making Hitting Hard your uh, with John Chuckery your first listen each day. Uh, don't forget, make your second listen 
the A to Z with my guy Mark Zeno, the return of Mark Zeno to the Atlanta Sports Airways. Opinions that uh, you may not like, but you know that you've got to listen to. A to Z with Mark Zeno is part of Locked on Sports Atlanta as well, free and available on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast. We will come back tomorrow. We will recap what the Falcons did in round number one. We will see if I'm aggravated. Am I feeling good? How am I feeling? We'll talk about all of that in the Braves wrap-up with the Cubs as well. This has been Hitting Hard. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check me out at JMCH316. Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked on Sports Atlanta.